survive Africa. But I brought this slide up for a reason this morning. This was our prayer as I was leaving. We were leaving the United States as, Lord, let us thrive, not just survive, so that you might be glorified. It was my prayer that my family would flourish in Cameroon and not just have a horrible time. I want to say this morning, uh, where'd Pastor Matt go? He's not here. Okay. We'll do that when we get back then. (laughs) Say thank you for partnering with us this morning. It's not just us going, it's you going along with us. We can't do it alone. I'm reminded time and time again of the the near misses on the roads and the, the things that could have happened to us. Reminded of the many prayers that you've prayed for us, and I loved it. We enjoy the emails, and occasionally we get an email saying, you know, from somebody like Stan Crooms that says, I prayed for you this morning. And what a blessing that is to our hearts to know that we're covered in prayer as we travel um, some hard roads and some uh, difficult places. Also, this is a picture of a Cameroonian tea plantation. They grow tea in Cameroon. It's one of the many things that they grow. I bring that up, but this morning we have a special gift for you at the end of the service. Those of you who are tea drinkers, you can take a tea bag from the back. Uh, Tyler will be standing there with a basket, and you get a taste of Cameroonian tea this morning. So don't forget to grab one of those. (laughs) I have a question for you this morning. What is the capital of Africa? Okay, some of you are saying there isn't. There isn't one. You're right. Africa is actually 52 different countries or nations. How many languages are spoken in Africa? Does anybody have any idea? It's a lot. Actually, 1,900 languages. It's almost one-third of the world's languages can be found in the continent of Africa. Now, most of us don't realize how big Africa is, and you'll have to excuse the sample over there. I wasn't going to pay $20 for the full-size poster off the Internet. But the idea is that in there you can see that Europe, the United States, Alaska, continental United States, Alaska, and China will fit inside the continent of Africa. That's how big it is. It's a huge place. Cameroon is right smack dab, what we we call the armpit of Africa. So when you watch that area in the morning, remember to pray for us in Cameroon. (laughs) Hopefully you'll do that every day. But you get an idea. Cameroon is about the size of California. 16 million people, 279 languages. Can you imagine having 279 languages in our own state? It's been called African in miniature. Every climate that exists within the continent of Africa can be found in Cameroon. So you see we've got savannas, deserts, rainforest that gets over 300 inches of rain a year. We've got beaches. We've got black sand beaches. We've got white sand beaches. We've got an active volcano, so you can see Cameroon has it all. Sounds like a place you want to go visit, huh? A little of our history for those of you that don't know us. We uh, served on staff here. I was the associate pastor. My responsibilities were youth and missions here. In 1998, we went to JARS for training. JARS stands for Jungle Aviation and Radio Services. It's the technical arm of Wycliffe. Now, how many of you know what Wycliffe Bible Translators does? translate the Bible. That's one of the things that they do. Okay. All right. 1999, we went to French study in France. Uh, 2001, we went to AOC. AOC is the Africa Orientation Course. 
we had 10 weeks, and at the end of those 10, during those, the end of those 10 weeks, we had three weeks in a village where we stayed with a Cameroonian family we did not know until we got there and ate what they ate and lived long side by side with them for three weeks. And then in 2001, we began serving with the Cameroon branch. Well, where do you live? That's a good question. We live right smack dab in the middle of the country in the capital city of Yaoundé. Why do we live in the capital city? Well, it's a good base of operations. As you can see there, this is a language map of Africa, so it kind of looks like cracked mud, doesn't it? Imagine trying to map out where those 279 languages are. Those little words around it are some of the language groups where Wycliffe is working right now. There's also Lutheran Bible translators that's doing Bible translation there. and we're, So we're splitting up the work in Cameroon. There's quite a bit to do. But we live in Yaoundé because that's where one of the airplanes is. Wycliffe Bible Translators doesn't only just have Bible translators and literacy workers, we have pilots. And so that's where the plane is. And some of the areas that I have to go work in, I need a plane to get into. Uh, I'll give you an example. One area would have took us two and a half hours on the plane would have taken two days, two or three days to get to. So saves a lot of time. But the real question I have for you this morning is, what would you do if you came face to face with a king? You see, we were still in orientation course, and, and we had gone for our village portion of that, and Don and I and the boys uh, got taken over to uh, Pastor Peter Singh's house. He's a Baptist field pastor, and what that means is he's the head pastor all over the Baptist pastors in that area. And uh, he was related to the family that we were staying with, and so he invited us over to his house, and we kind of joke about it, say we were kidnapped for a weekend. We got there not planning to stay more than an uh, afternoon and evening one day, and we ended up spending three with the clothes we had on our back. Pastor Peter Singh said, I'd like you to visit some of the churches on Sunday morning. I spoke in four churches on a Sunday morning. And then Pastor Singh said, we've got one more stop to make, and we headed up the side of a mountain. Now, if you imagine a little Toyota, four, uh, no four-wheel drive, heading up this muddy, rocky road with all of us in it, and as we headed up the side of this mountain, I thought, where are we going? And Pastor Singh said, we're going to see the fawn. The fawn is the paramount king, the ultimate king for the Combe language people. And so we were brought into his presence, and we had gone through some of the protocol during our training. You're not allowed to shake the king's hand unless he offers his hand to you. And we were ushered into the king's presence. And before this happened, they brought out his throne and set it out under this, this uh, shade thing. And then they brought out a leopard skin and set that over his throne. And brought out two ivory tusks and wrapped those around the throne. So the intimidation in my heart was starting to happen. My heartbeat was going faster and faster. And the king came out and sat on the throne and then we were called forward. And as we were called forward, we were bowed like this and, and we waited. And the first thoughts that came through my mind was, Lord, please don't let me say anything stupid so that we ruin the Bible translation project that's going on in this area. You see, the Cone people are going to get their New Testament this year. Something we're excited about. And I am looking forward to the day where I can hand off a New Testament to that family that we stayed with. We call that our village mom and dad. And we have an ongoing relationship with them, but it's going to be a wonderful day when they have God's word in a language that they understand and understand 100%. So we were there before the king, and I was bowed down, and he asked us why we were there, and I explained, and, and the, the king is actually a believer. And so that's a good thing. 
But as it got me going through my first term in Africa, it got me asking the question, what does it mean to serve a king? You see, we don't have a king here in the United States. We have a president. And that president has certain powers and certain things he cannot do. We have the judicial branch of government. We've got Congress and the Senate. And they all have the system of checks and balances. And as I was talking with one of my colleagues, she looked at me and she said, you know, a king can go into your mama's house and rearrange her silverware drawer. The president can't. And as I researched this idea and as I prayed about it, this whole first term, God was speaking to me about what it means to serve the king. Even up through yesterday, I was driving down the highway and it was just an awesome thing as God was saying, you remember, think about this aspect of what it means. What is a king like? Well, as I did that, we searched through Psalm 24, and there's a lot of scripture up there. If you've got your Bibles, turn there with me this morning. Psalm 24, and this is actually, the psalm has been written into a uh, modern-day uh, song by a group called Third Day, portion of this. But it says, the earth is the Lord's and all it contains in the world and those who dwell in it. So you get the idea of ownership there. Everything, the world itself, the plants, the animals, us, we all belong to that King of kings and Lord of lords, don't we? We are his to do with as he wills. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. He's the creator of it all. Not only is he the king, but he's also the creator. He's made it for what purpose? So that all these things might bring attention to him, so that he might be made much of, that he might be glorified. For he has founded it upon the seas, he has established it upon the rivers. Who may ascend up into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? God is a holy God, a God to be feared, a God without sin. A perfect, benevolent king. He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has lifted up, not lifted up his soul to falsehood and has not sworn deceitfully, he shall receive a blessing from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of those who seek him, who seek thy face. Blessings from the Lord. Do we receive blessings from the King of kings and Lord of lords? Yeah. Every day, don't we? Every day. And God blesses us and blesses us and blesses us for what purpose? So that we might share that blessing with the world. You know, I'm reminded of talking about getting blessings from the king as we later on that day when we were meeting with uh, the fawn, um, we went and had a special lunch and then we met into another room where the king had another throne. And uh, we came in and we had a were served uh, something to drink. And that king did something interesting. Uh, Pastor Peterson was called forward and got down on his knees, and the king offered out his hand and took a bit of palm juice and poured it into his hand, and the, king drank, or the, the pastor drank from the king's hand. And I wrestled with that for a while. I didn't understand what was going on, and I had to ask somebody, you know, it's a special privilege to even touch the king and to drink from his hand. And that's a special privilege in our lives to come into the presence of the king at a moment's notice, isn't it? That's called prayer. And the times that we spend with that king are precious times. 
And that was a special blessing. It was a significantly, significant honor for Pastor Singh. In fact, it was, it was as if he was part of the court. It was, a, it was a high honor, one of the highest honors that you can receive from the king, to drink out of his hand. Now, I don't know about you, but drinking out of somebody's hand is not what I would enjoy, and that's a cross-cultural thing. But we often, our king offers us his hand and allows us to drink out of his hand, doesn't he? on a daily basis, where he pours out those blessings and gives us what we need and says, I love you, you're mine. Verse 7 says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. How often do we prize those moments we have with our King? Do we hold Him up and realize that how majestic He is? You know, because we really, as Americans, don't have that concept of what it is to have a King sit over us. And it's something that, that God is still teaching me, but God has the right come into my life and say, Joe, you've been ministering here at Rancho Baptist Church. Now it's time for you to go. God did that in the life of Moses. At 40 years of age, he went back to talk to Pharaoh. He did it in the life of Abraham, said, I'm going to take you to another country where you've never been. And over and over in Scripture, God, can, as we've seen, God pull somebody out of a situation and say, I want you here so that I might be glorified among the nations. Well, what kind of work are you doing, Joe? And it's called vernacular media. It's giving people access to God's Word through media materials. You see, most of those 1,900 languages in, in, in Africa, the majority of them have never been written down. They don't have an organized, they do have an organized alphabet. It's just never been written down. Their words have never been written down and developed. And so, they're oral societies. How do they pass information? It's by word of mouth. And so we're giving people access to the word of God as it's being translated with these, some situations there, with these tools on audio cassettes, on videotapes. We dubbed six different films. How many of you know what the Jesus film is or have seen it? Okay, that's just one of six. We do Genesis, Acts, Matthew, uh, the Jesus film, God's story, and I think I'm missing one, but we do six different films. We use film strips. Now, those of you that are younger in this room, you might not remember these, but film strips are making a comeback. They're relevant materials in Africa. They, they're light. They travel well. Okay, we're also storytelling, and we'll talk a little bit more about storytelling and drama a little later on, but some of the things we do are dramatize scripture and put it on audio cassette, and then music. Part of African culture is music, and it is so deeply woven into the culture that you can't separate it. There are songs for the birth of twins, there are songs that tell news, there are songs that are used to tell stories, there are songs that are war chants, and all those can be used to share the gospel. 
Well, how this all happens is every year I get to meet with each language program in Cameroon, every language that's having a translation in process. And that's uh, 60 languages that, we're, that Wycliffe is working in in Cameroon. You see here some pictures of the different language groups that we've met with. And we plan for the year. Say, what has gone on? What have you translated? Uh, what materials would you like to have for the next year? Looking at the felt needs of that language community. The groups vary in size. Wycliffe works with groups as small as 300 and as large as hundreds of thousands. Language groups vary in size. Our goal is to produce a mix of media that are bi biblically accurate. And that can be, to give you an example, uh, the Limbu, not the Limbu, the uh, Jagam, Denya, and Kenyang languages had, you know, have the Luke parables, and they wanted those recorded, so we recorded those. Interspersed in between those Luke parables, uh, we, that earlier before we recorded that, we had a choir competition. Eight choirs from around those language areas came in, and they had written original music in a traditional style to those Luke parables. And those songs were interspersed among those Luke parables. So you can see the mix of media there speaking to the hearts of those language groups culturally. We want to make sure that they're appropriate to the culture. And you see up there what's called a thumb piano. It's got pieces of bamboo that you stroke with your fingers. But it's interesting. Up there, it's got a microphone attached to it. Uh, Buji Joseph had been playing this instrument. He's well known in the northwest province of Cameroon. And he came to me and he said, you know, I'd like to be able to play with this with my church choir, but it's not loud enough. What can you do? And so we wrestled with that for several months and attached a PZM microphone to it, and now he can play with his choir. But if you notice in the background, that was part of a recording that was done later. Can you see the, the crowd of people around there? We do recordings in the villages. We don't do them back in the studio in Yaoundé. We try to do them where the people are at. It builds an excitement. People are excited about something is going on in their language. That next slide is what we do when we dub a film. It doesn't look like we're dubbing a film there, but what happens is we use the prompter technique. And to tell you a little bit about that, you see me with the red shirt on behind the computer. Larry Wilson is prompting, or he's delivering the script, and the young man behind the microphone is the actor. And what happens is, because they're oral societies, their brains are a lot more developed to remember things than ours are. And Larry will feed a couple lines in the language, or the translator will. The actor will repeat it, the translator will say it again, and when he goes to say, the actor goes to say it the second time, I hit the start button and record it. That does several things. How many of you have ever read from a page and it sounds kind of really dull? It frees the actors from the page. It allows them to be able to express themselves in a way that sounds more natural and doesn't sound like they're reading. The other reason we work in the village, and it's not always an easy thing to soundproof a room with... Uh, palm branches and blankets and mattresses and whatever we can find. But the other reason is, is that we have a ready supply of people. If we were to travel eight hours back to Yaoundé and somebody got sick or something happened, we'd have to wait a day or two for somebody to come back from that village to do the recordings. But again, it builds an excitement. Usually the first question that's asked when we're done with the recording is, when are the cassettes coming? Other ministries that Donna and I were involved in, uh, Donna was involved with Kick. Those of you who are familiar with Wanas, this is a Cameroonian version of Wanas that uh, they've made up. It's called Kids in Cameroon for Christ. All right, and you see that picture on the upper left. 
On the upper right is me and a, a young man named Tim Hoyt. And God had some plans for me. When I left, I shared my vision that God, God had given me a heart for missionary kids. And I didn't know what God was going to do with that. And within our last term, God had brought me three young men that have come to me at individual times and said, Joe, will you disciple me? What a special privilege to be with this young man. His dad's American. His mom's Australian. He's going to be heading off to college this fall. But I got to invest two and a half years in this young man's life. And it was a privilege and honor before the Lord. I didn't go looking for it. God brought these young men to me. Three of them at different times. Other ministries down there on the bottom, uh, it's a soccer ministry. I coach soccer at Rainforest International School. It's a Wycliffe uh, middle school and high school. Tyler will be going there for first time next year. And he's excited about that. And someday I may be his soccer coach, which will be an interesting phenomenon for me. It'll be different. But uh, along with that high school team, I decided, you know, this is great that we're playing other schools and things like that. We play a French school in Cameroon, and we play the American school of Yaoundé, and we play a private Catholic school, and we have our own little league. But God was leading us into another ministry, and we formed a new team called the Tropicana Rhinos. Tropicana is the area of Yaoundé that we live in. And it's a team made up of MKs and young Christian Cameroonian or teenagers also come together to form a team. And our goal is to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the matches that we play. We play a lot of friendly matches. We're not part of a league. We kind of like it that way. Sometimes we've played university teams. These guys have actually done well, very well. They tied University of Yaoundé 1 in a 2-2 match. For a bunch of young guys, that was a, that was a good thing. But after that match, it is customary to sit down and share a soda together or to share some sort of drink together, whether it's coffee, soda, or tea, or, or whatever. And uh, introduce the president of your ball club and do all the formalities and explain why you've come and extol the virtues of the other team. But it also offers us an opportunity to say why we're playing. We're not playing for our own glory, but we're play, play, playing for Jesus Christ. And it allows us to share that with other teams. Those are three drums there, and very often we get to record drums in our recordings, and they're outside for one reason. It's to warm them up. Most people don't know this, but you have to warm up your drums, just like you have to warm up your voice. What that does is it actually allows the wood to expand and make that drum head tight. Okay? The reason I show you that is because we did several recordings this year, and, and I always like to find out what was the result of the recording. The first one is the Kako people, and they have their New Testament. And we went out and recorded uh, 70 songs in two days. It was a marathon recording. And I said, Ors, what are you going to do this? Well, we're going to share them with some of the other outlying Kako villages in the rainforest that, that don't have access to some of these things and so that they can learn these songs and use them in church. They're scripture songs. And they're memorizing scripture through song. Now, how many of you did that when you, when you were a child? Okay. A lot of the songs that Tom uses have scripture in them. And so we memorize those things and can hide them in our hearts. Well, Urs was going out, uh, Urs is Swiss, and uh, Urs was going out traveling through the air, and he always keeps a box of the cassettes in his truck. And he came upon a village that was having a death celebration, or in other words, a funeral. But a death celebration in Cameroon can last several days. It goes all night long with loud music and drinking, and it's not generally a very good moral occasion. 
But Urs dropped the cassette off to the deceased brother and said, here, you know, I know you might run out of music and you get tired of the same old stuff. Put this in. This is Kako music. Well, Urs came back through that village the next day and the brother came running out and he said, I want to thank you. He says, now that we know we have heard God's word and we've heard it in our own tongue and things are going to be different. Just from a cassette. I think of the Limboom Choir that I was asked to record, and I kind of hemmed in hot on this. It was a local church there in Yaoundé, and normally most of the work I do is with our language programs. And they kept coming and said, oh, can you do it? And in Cameroonian culture, if you say no the first time, no does not mean no. It means, let's discuss it. <laughs> so I said no, and I said no, and no, no. And as I, they were sharing their vision for these cassettes, they were going to take these, these cassettes out to the Limboom villages eight hours away, and use these as evangelistic tools. And I said, yeah, let's do it. And so we did the recording. And later, we, Don and I and the boys were invited to a cassette dedication. I thought, okay, this is new. They brought the cassettes, and they had a special church service just for these cassettes. They prayed over them and prayed that they would be useful, that they would go forth and be used to got further God's kingdom. But something else that they did that night really struck me. And they prayed over a brand new drum that the choir was using. I said, Lord, we do not want this drum used for traditional things, traditional religion, for spirit worship, for ancestor worship. We want this drum to glorify you and may it never be used for, as such to, to worship in a traditional style, but to use to glorify you. And it got me to thinking, God created us and he has the right come into our lives and to decide how we're being used, doesn't he? He is that king of kings and lord of lords. Well, in Cameroon, one of the language groups we have are the Baca Pygmies, and they are extremely short. They are hunter-gatherers, and if you look there to the left is one of their traditional homes. They don't stay in one spot for very long. They're nomadic. They roam around the rainforest and find whatever, hunt for whatever they can eat. They're primarily meat eaters. They don't eat a lot much of every, anything else. The same rainforest where you get the lowland gorillas that people are trying to save. But how often do we forget people groups like the Baca who don't have a Bible translation? Most Baca have never been to school, don't have a concept or a need for reading. So how are we going to reach the Baca pe people? Initially, we believe there is going to be a written translation that's being worked on but it's going to be through audios cassettes telling the stories from the Old Testament. Storytelling and drama. One story I'd like to tell you is about this New Testament here. This was dedicated in the last year in Cameroon. This is the Mambila people. And a pastor there explained, you know, up until today, we know the importance of silos, and these are silos where they keep their grain. We know the importance of silos. It stores the grain for us for, so that we can eat during dry season. He said, up until now, we have been like chickens scratching on the ground for the, the grains that fell, fall out of the silo or don't make it into the silo. But he said, today, God has come down near to us, and we can feast on God's word, and we know that he loves us. This is the lady that worked on the translation. This is her third translation. She's in her late 70s. This is Mo Perrin. She's an English lady. And God can use each and every one of us, no matter what our age or stage is. 
God can take me at the year, age of 38 and take me to France and make me learn a, a foreign language, learn French, and come out the other side and then have a fruitful ministry in Cameroon. God can do it in your life too. It's not because of anything that I've done, because, but it's because the king has willed it. And there you have a Mambila girl reading the New Testament for the first time in her language, and she can understand it. There are many languages around the world that don't even have a single verse. There are 6,800 languages in the world today. We have over 400 translations of the Bible in English. There are close to 3,000 languages that don't have a single verse. It doesn't seem fair. That's what Wycliffe is all about. Our vision is, Vision 2025, that a language translation would be started by the year 2025. At the rate we're going, it's going to take another 150 years. And so we're praying that God would raise up workers to come join us in the harvest so that those 3,000 languages would have God's word. Well, well, we'll move on from that. Let's see if I can get the computer to do something else. I'm problems. My goal, though, this morning, and part of one of the things I've been praying about is, has you got, have you got a purpose in your life? It's to glorify the King, isn't it? King of kings and Lord of lords. Reminded from the blessings that God hands us from His hand from the King. And that's an honor. And what we do with those blessings is important whether we hide them or we share them. It could be dangerous, and God may be speaking to your heart this morning and saying, it's time for you to go. It's time for you to get involved in this task that I have around the world. But your task is, is to hold on tight to the king. You know, I reminded of when we went to step on the airplane for the first time, and it was just me, Don, and the boys, and we went to go to France, and I said, Gulp, this is it, Lord. We're in your hands. There may be suffering involved. Scripture talks about that. As Christians, we are called to suffer. There may be some risk involved. You may lose your life. I think about the five that lost their lives in South America. Jim Elliott, Nate Saint, Roger Udarian. You know, I got the privilege to talk to Nate Saint two weeks ago or not Nate Saint, Steve Saint, his son. We're down at Spirit West Coast. And the question was asked of Steve, if you had it to do over again, would you ask for, your, for the Lord, for your father not to be killed by the Alka Indians? He said no. Because of that, those deaths, a wave of missionaries went out to the uttermost parts of the earth. God calls us to hardship persecution, tribulation. He promises us that those things are going to happen. That's part of our walk with the Lord. But we have a benevolent king 
that's going forth with us in battle. And our call is to serve him, to glorify him, to make much of him. This is a quote by John Piper. It says, any good-hearted goal without the desire to give people eternal joy in God so that they might worship the King of Kings is a condemnation with a kind face. Powerful words. If we're not seeking to draw attention to him, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then it's condemnation to a, as a, with a kind face. Words for us to think about. And God may be speaking to you this morning. I'm going to ask Tom to come forward. And if God has been speaking to you this morning, the first step is to be obedient. I'm going to ask you to step forward and come down front. And I'd like to pray with you this morning. If God has called you to go, or to send. Or God is speaking to your heart and saying, I need to be more involved in reaching the nations. I'd love to pray with you this morning.
Pastor Matt, you want to come up here? He doesn't know about this, so he's looking at me. What are you going to do? <laughs> we have a special gift for Rancho Baptist Church, but you have to give it back so we can give it to you again in the second service. <laughs> but this is made by an area where uh, Wycliffe is working. The Bafoot ladies are doing, working this. That's a special gift for the church, and this is Cameroonians rejoicing, traditional style. So say thank you to Rancho Baptist for partnering with us and serving the king. Donna, and Austin, and Tyler. <laughs> forgive me, Tyler. Will you forgive me? I, I blew it. The reason I blew it is because my nephew is named Ryder, and I keep on thinking her first name's Ryder. Anyway, uh, thank you so much for uh, your ministry to us, and um, I know you have two more weeks left with us, but um, this furlough's gone by fast, as Donna shared with me, and the time I've got to know all of you has been a, a great joy, and uh, I encourage all of you to um, just be able to say your farewells to the writers for the next two weeks, and then they'll be off to Cameroon again. Um, but let us just go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to bless this ministry and continue to work in our lives to, to bring glory to Him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the commitment of the writers their commitment to your gospel, to spreading your word around Cameroon and elsewhere. And Father, we pray that you would raise up more people, more people from this very room to go out and give their lives for you. Father, we realize that you are the king. And what does it mean to serve you? It means giving our everything, our all. And so, Lord, we ask for you to do a work inside of us that we would be willing to sacrifice, realizing that it is really no sacrifice, that serving you is the greatest thing that we could possibly do to give our lives for you. Thank you, Father, for this message. We ask that you continue to be with us, go before us, as we give you praise and honor and glory. We love you, Lord. We pray this all in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. All right. You folks are dismissed. Have a great day.